Thank you so much. Can you hear me on this? All right. Thank you so much, JR. I've really appreciated this um, this series because I actually heard one time, I actually think it might have been you, I can't remember, Jason, somebody said that we, we make 35,000 decisions in a day. What? Individually, 35,000? Now, some of those are, I decide to get up. I decide to make coffee. I decide to either pet the cat, kick the cat, you know, whatever. We, we make decisions that are kind of automatic, right? And thank God that they're automatic. But there's, there's still 35,000 of them. And they say that we get decision weary by the end of the day. And that's why sometimes that's when we have those fights with our spouse or have trouble with our family because we're tired of making decisions. You get that question, what's for dinner? Cereal. Cereal is for dinner for the 14th time. You just get tired of making good decisions. And so the more you can pre-decide, the better. And in this, with this, um, we've been uh, devoted and, and uh, ready and all those things that he mentioned. It just makes us more ready so that we're, the, the things that we value the most with God are not in that weary side of our decisions. They're the pre-decisions. So I've really appreciated this. Well, set an, another set of numbers is I heard an, about this article in 2007 in the olden days. This was before Instagram. This was before Twitter, before whatever, TikTok, whatever. It was before the iPhone. We had the cell phones, but we didn't have the iPhone, the computer in your hand. And we were assaulted, that's how it feels sometimes, with 5,000 ads a day. And now it's doubled. We're over 10,000 ads a day. Letting us know, you know what it does? It actually makes us miserable and broke. (laughs) But miserable. (laughs) Miserable because we see what we don't have, right? And, And it says, you know, you'll be happier if you have that new iPhone. You're going to be happier if you have... That Stanley Cup. You're going to be happy if you have the new purse or the countertops or the car or Lulu leggings, right? We, I mean, you're just not going to be happy without those things. That's what culture says. Culture says we got to acquire more, we got to get more. But Jesus actually says it different. And I love Lulu leggings, just so you know. Um, Acts says, or uh, Jesus says in Acts 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That word blessed actually means happier, like joyful, more satisfied. And today, by the grace of God, we're going to pre-decide to choose ahead of time to be generous. And you're going to hear me talk a lot about money because it's what we know, it's what we see. But generosity is way more than money. It, it really entails also time. There's actually people in this among us that I believe carry the gift of generosity because I see it in how they serve. They give their time. They're, they're the ones that go help you move anybody. And they're the ones that stack the chairs and they're the ones that serve back in the kitchen. They have this generosity of their time. Jeremy Barbagello is one of them. And I don't know if he even gives a penny, but he has a generosity of his time. So it's not just money. It is all things. But why do we even talk about it? Why? Because no one accidentally becomes irrationally generous. Nobody stumbles into tithing and, and then giving. And then 
giving to someone who um, needs groceries or, or paying for someone's rent and, or the mission trips or the ministries. And accidentally, oh, that was so fun. I'll, I'll do like, you know, 10% or 15% or 20% or 25% above my tithe. And then God blesses them so much that they become, you know, they have to figure out what to do with this uh, inheritance for their children and their children's children. They don't, nobody accidentally becomes irrationally generous. What we typically do is we want to be generous, but we can't. We feel like we can't. So we say, well, one day, one day when I make more, then I will give more. Is that bugging you guys? One day I will give more when I have more. But that's not how the generous think. Generosity isn't about what we have. It's not what, about what we don't have. Generosity is about the heart. And you know it because you've seen poor people who are stingy and you've seen poor people who are beautifully and sacrificially generous. And you've seen rich people who you couldn't squeeze a dime out of, but you've seen rich people who have changed the world by passionate generosity. So that's why we're going to do today is learn how to be generous now. Because if we're generous now, we'll be generous later. Jay and I founded uh, a nonprofit organization called Lifehouses, mentoring young adults with foster, that are aging out of foster care group homes, and we're just getting out on their own. And to be honest, we have we hope this happens. Uh, we have one fundraiser a year in May, the, our Cowboy Ball, and we want that spontaneous giving to come, to happen, to great measure. So please come and be spontaneous. We have a <laughs> we have a ranch to create. But that, and that is giving, and to be clear, that does honor God. And giving is good. But giving is not generosity. The difference is, generous people don't need to be guilted to give. Generous people don't need to be inspired to give. Generous people are not moved by a need. And generous people don't need to be prompted by a need or waiting for the Holy Spirit to touch them to give. Generous people have a plan. And uh, Isaiah 32, 8. Are you going to put that up there? Good. I love the way this is a King James version, I think. Anyway, it says, But the generous man devises generous things, and by gener- generosity he shall stand. In another one is stand firm. Most people have a plan. For, with her finances, and it's to consume. If there's anything that we want, we research it, we ponder it, Facebook finds out, and suddenly there's all these ads about it, and we figure out how we can get it. But generous people don't plan to consume. They plan to give. They have a strategy, and they do life around it. It's a mindset. How can we make a bigger difference, or how can we maximize what we have? It's not spontaneous, though it can be, but it's not all the time. And it's not really emotional. It's planned, it's intentional, it's predecided. And you might say, well, I'm not a planner. Well, we all have a plan. Might not be a good one, and it might not be on paper, but we all have a plan. So most people plan like this. There's a circle I want them to put up. Hopefully they do. There you go. God supplies. We spend more than we make. We lack money. We worry more, and then we spend more than we make. It's this circle. 
We, we want to give, but we just can't. This is not a money problem. This is a spiritual problem. It's trusting in things more than we trust in God. And generous people break the cycle, not by accident. It's putting God first. God says it this way, and J.R. used this verse in uh, pre-deciding about being devoted. There might be a theme here. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Not first the shoes, not first the phone, not first the countertops, not first the car. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. God knew that it had to be the kingdom first because he changes our heart about those things. And so those things don't become center of our life. Kingdom becomes center, and then he can give us all those things, and it doesn't wreck us. In fact, there's a principle in the Bible that's um, pretty powerful, has potentially change a life, and it's in Malachi. It's called the tithe. Tithe simply means, sorry, simply means a tenth. We find it in Malachi 3.10, and it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. This one verse forever changed the course of three families. Jay and I lived, when we first came to Helena, we lived on a neighborhood, in a neighborhood. They were kind of like track houses. And on either side of us were uh, families that were just like us, broke, so broke, that we would borrow each other's ketchup. We would borrow each other's beer. We would do whatever it takes. We had, um, there would be times just to make it through the month that I would write a check to somebody and they would write a check to the other one and they would write a check to me. I, I hear that's illegal, don't do that. But, <laughs> but we were just trying to make it through. There was one gal that worked at a bank and, and she said, this is what you do with your checks. Checks are those things, girls, are you know, the kids that you used to write, okay? So these checks, we, she would... We would poke the numbers out just to give us more time. And so we were broke. We were a financial mess. We didn't want to be that way. Obviously, no one wakes up and goes, I want to be broke. So we wanted to change that. But we also knew we weren't doing it God's way either. So it was like this mixture. We were new to Christ. There was one family that was a little bit longer in Christ than some of us. But we just didn't know what we were doing. So one friend got us workbooks. Uh, Larry Burkett was the Dave Ramsey of the day. And I see some heads going like this. They, they knew Larry Burkett. So we got the workbook. And, it, and this workbook, it actually had uh, like lines to put your budget and stuff. And anyway, one summer, we were all camping together, the three families. And one of us had a ratty old um, camper. And it, the guys had the kids out playing and it started to sprinkle. So us girls went in the camper and said, okay, this is it. We're going to do this workbook. So we got it out, and before we could get to the budget, he taught on this Malachi. And the first, all well, most of Malachi, God is talking to the people about the fact that why they are cursed. Why are they having so much trouble? And he's saying, return to me. God says, return to me. And so in verse 7, so... Up further, it says, but you say, well, how, have I, how do we return? How shall I return? And he said, will man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you say, well, how do we rob you? 
in tithes and offerings. Now, we weren't very, hadn't been very long in this relationship with God, but we knew we didn't want to be on the wrong side of that verse. And so we're like, okay. So we put the tithe first, then the groceries, then the mortgage, then the bills, whatever. We get to the bottom. You guys, there's not enough. And I'm seriously not enough. This was, I didn't know how it was going to work. I think God might have knew. I don't know. I think God probably knew. And I think he knew that this part of our life was going to be hard for all of us. Because it's the one place in the Bible that he says, test me in this one. It's the only place. In Further down in uh, Malachi 3.10, it says, Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it, and I will prevent the devourer from devouring your crops and vines. That means he'll protect your increase. He'll increase, he'll protect what you have. So we decided right then and there, okay, we're going to do this. We, may, we knew that we didn't want to rob God. That, we knew enough that. We didn't have this, but he said test. So we did. Now, this was going to be really tested in my house because Jay was not a believer at this time. So I snuck it. <laughs> so I was doing the, the, the I don't advise this either, but um, <laughs> I was doing the, the finances at the time. So I just snuck in tithe for a few months and, and kind of evened out. And I was like, okay, this works. And, and then I felt guilty. And so I told Jay about it. And he's like, are you crazy? We don't have enough to do that. No way. Anita, we give, you know, when we have enough. But no, we're not going to do this. And so, okay. So I didn't tithe for a few months. Everything went to hell. And I'm not kidding. The car would break down. Something would happen. Insufficient funds. There was just chaos. And so I snuck it back in. And we tithed for a few months. And so finally, I just sat Jay down and I just showed him the books. I showed him month to month what happened in those months. And there was just more peace. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how it works. I don't get it. But God said, test me in this. So I showed Jay, and he's finally like, okay, whatever. Do it. And uh, so he, he is saved, just so you know. <laughs> I thought I'd put that out there. <laughs> so some might say, some might say that this is the prosperity gospel. Have you ever heard that? This is the generosity gospel. It is more better to give than to receive. I'm not saying that if you tithe, you'll get rich. What I'm saying is that he'll be faithful. And he is the greatest giver, and you cannot outgive him. Um, JR said it earlier so God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You cannot outgive him. And when you discover it's more blessed to the receive, or to give than to receive. It changes the cycle. Actually, it changes everything. Those three couples broke chitin checks, if that's what they call that. Chitin checks and a financial mess living in those track houses. We started, we predecided, and God moved us each off that block, and he opened crazy doors. Kind of felt like that whole floodgates thing. He opened doors that we were not clever enough to open. We were not good enough to open, except God. And so the better cycle, 
the better circle, so to speak, is God supplies. We give. It builds our faith. We give more. It starts all over again. It's a mindset of generosity. It's not what you do. It's who you are. We pre-decide. Not when it's convenient and we're not giving God what's left over. We're giving him the first, the best, and we trust him with the rest. That's what we do. We pre-decide. And it starts with the tithe, but it grows from there. And don't stop there and don't be accidental about it. Before Mount Helena was in this building, we were nomads. And we, as a family, came across this opportunity. It used to be a, a warehouse for tires. And... We really wanted to acquire this building so you all would come, right? And so we figured out what it would cost. We did the estimates. We had the, the big number. And we decided as a family to take this on. But it was going to take everybody. So we did a capital campaign. And what that just meant is we fasted, we prayed, and we sought God on what we would do. How would we commit to this? And each family did that individually. So Jay and I, we fasted and prayed separately separately. And we came together on a planned date and to tell each other the number that the Holy Spirit would give us, and then we would commit to that. I did not want to say my number. I was pretty sure God would be more reasonable with Jay. He was not. It was the same number. And it was more than we made, Jay made, in an entire year. Crazy, ridiculous, but was God's number. Who were we to argue? So we committed. Now, some people, some families, they gave you know money right away. We couldn't do that, so we committed to a certain amount of time. And so we just started plugging away on that. Just about the time that was all decided, 2008 happened. And I'm a realtor in town. I had been for just not very long at that point. And 2008, when that stock market hit, our industry shut down for about... I don't know, about six months it felt like anyway. And we had committed all this money. And so I didn't know what to do, except I did trust God. So we would tithe, and if, you know, it would be like $25 extra. And then it was $50 extra, because I, I vowed. I mean, when you promise God, you promise God. And so I just started chipping away on that as as best that we could. And it seemed like as we did that, my phone started ringing more than anybody else's in the office. Everybody else, it was obvious. There was favor, and favor just started coming to us. Jay got his um, real estate license, wasn't even working in my office, and I was like, please, I need you to come work for me because it's way too much, and you guys were not that clever, it is so God that brings the favor. I, I can't insist on that enough. It was God's favor. So then when we finished that commitment um, that we had committed to build this building, I was like, no way am I going back. Because I had discovered, I had put my foot in God's economy. And there was no way I was going back to any other way of living. No way. And so Jay and I decided again we had to sit down and go, okay, how are we going to do this? We can't keep building buildings, right? So we, we just readjusted, but there's no way we're going back. And I've, I've heard that some have decided, um, some stories that I've heard, that to just give an extra $50 a month as the Spirit leads. 
not accidental, intent, you know, it's planned. I know of another couple that decide every year to increase 1%. You know, they start out with 10, so then they give 11%, and then 12%, and then 3%. Um, I know someone who's working toward flipping it, living on 10. That does not happen by accident. You have to be intentional. So generous people pre-decide to do what is generous. Two, generous people always round up. When I was, uh, before I got married, I worked in Cody, Wyoming, and I was a waitress. And 4th of July is blown up in Cody, Wyoming. It's the beginning of the uh, park over there. Anyway, there was this one table that was the end of my station. And I was so busy that day. I, they got their food and maybe one cup of coffee, but I did not go back there again. I felt bad. I went, I went to actually check on them, and they were already gone. I was like, oh, gosh, I failed there. They left me a $100 tip and the sweetest note. Changed my entire day. And honestly, it's changed even how I see waitressing, to be honest, because even if it's a bad waitress, there's a reason she's having a bad day, Right? Always round up. I actually travel with a man who alters atmospheres in restaurants because of the way that he does this. I know another group who pre-decide every year in December to all go to breakfast together. Breakfast is usually the least amount of tips. So they, they go to breakfast together. They all leave a nice rounded up tip. And then they each individually put a $100 bill in an envelope. And they leave it for the gal. Merry Christmas, right? They round up. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-six says, All day long the sluggard craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not give back. There's a story about the Good Samaritan in the Bible that just is, this is rounding up. He came across the guy who was broken. I don't know if he was beat up or what, but he was side of the road. Do you guys know the story? And the Good Samaritan picks him up, takes him to a hotel, mends him up a little, but then he's got to get back to work. So he pays the um, hotel keeper and said, hey, leave him here, let him heal, tend to him, and if anything is more than what I'm giving you right now, I'll pay it when I come back around. That's rounding up. So Jesus also said, if they take your shirt, give them their jacket, give them your jacket too. If they ask you to go a mile, go to round up. If you take someone a gift certificate or a dinner, like they have a baby or something, take dessert too. If you give a gift certificate for dinner, volunteer to take their kids too. I know this one, another, I heard another story, and this one inspires me. They have a give one, take one, where if they're given a shirt, they uh, give a shirt. And then it, so it was clothes at first, and then it moved to, I think, couches. You know, they got a new couch, so they gave a couch. And then they got a refrigerator, so they gave a couch. And then they got a car, and so, wait a minute. No, they sold it, and they gave out of the proceeds. Nope. They filled it full of gas. They detailed it. They delivered it. Man, that's inspiring. That is rounding up. I love that. So that's principle number two, always round up. And then the third one is sometimes we have to re Decide. I can't do this very well, but sometimes life throws us a curveball. Where's my curve? See? 
<laughs> here, I was looking for you over here. I told him it didn't matter. But sometimes life does. It, 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 it throws you. Ah! Well, see, it's trouble. But anyway, you guys, sometimes God throws us a curveball. Not God. Life throws us a curveball. Sometimes it's the job you lost. Sometimes it's the pregnancy you didn't expect. Sometimes it's the, the change of the market for my industry. In November, our, our, our uh, real estate has changed a bit, if you didn't know. And Jay and I are all on commission now. And in November, I was looking at a December for the first time in a lot of years that I had no closings in December. It threw me a curveball. I also had a wedding. Right? That I had savings for. But it threw me a curveball. And it's really easy when, when life throws you a curveball that you hang on to that thing. It's all you can think about. It's fear that creeps in. And you start to go, oh God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do about this? It's the curveball, right? And it actually took a little six year old grandson that reminded me why we do what we do. So. We shifted very quickly. And I honestly think it was all me. But that six-year-old reminded me. And uh, God turned that month around in incredible ways. For one, I got a granddaughter and a grandson in December. Now that, a grandson? No, a son-in-law in December. You're all like, wait, what happened? Anyway, you guys, it's not been my nature for years to give I was raised in poverty, and so I really had a hang-on mentality. I actually, there's this guy, uh, Mike Bollinger, who was an elder in our church years ago, and I'll never forget the, the way he talked about the opposite of the gift of uh, generosity or the generosity mindset. It's called poverty mindset or the spirit of poverty, whatever. And it's, I just remember his fists. And he taught on that this is how we live when we live in poverty. And we have our fists really tight because we're so worried about not having enough. It has very little to do with money. It's not enough money, but man, my spouse is not enough. My job's not enough. You're not enough. My body's not enough. I'm not enough. Have you ever been around someone who's it's just not enough? Nothing is enough. Well, I was that way, you guys. And Mike Bollinger, he talked about it and how we hang on so tight to what we have. But he said, by the grace of God, he, trusting God, causes us to open our hand, right? So that we can receive. You can't receive from God like this. You got to trust God, open your hand, and you receive from God. But what else happens? It rolls right off. It's not yours. It comes and it goes. And it doesn't mean that you're not good stewards. God actually teaches you how to be good stewards. You get around people that teach you how to be good stewards, right? It's not about that. But it is about living, possessing nothing. So that nothing possesses you. Right? So here's the deal. If you want to be generous when you have more, you be generous now. So why, the ultimate why, you guys, is because we're in this relationship with God. And he is the one. You can't out, outgive him, right? We serve the most generous God. 
who pre-decided to send his son for our ransom. And all we do, whether it's our, our money, our time, our gifting, whatever it is, is our worship and our acknowledgement back to him because he is faithful and he is good. I am going to close with this. It's funny how you stumble across things when God's working on you about things. In uh, 1 Corinthians, this is out of the Passion Translation. I just love the way that it says it. And then I'm going to close with this, and I'll pray for you. Uh, for 2 Corinthians 8 says, Beloved ones, I must tell you about this grace that God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. For even during the season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy from the depths of their extreme poverty, super abundant joy, and overflowed into the act of extravagant generosity. And then later on it says, so here's my thoughts on this, concerning this matter. It's in your best interest, since you've made such a good start last year, both in the grace of giving and in your longing to give, that you should finish what you started. You were so eager in your intentions to give, so go do it. Finish the act of worship according to your ability to give. For if the intention and the desire are there, the size of the gift doesn't matter. Your gift is fully accepted to God according to what you have. It's not about what you don't have. And then uh, in chapter 9 it says, Let it spring freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Don't you love that? So you guys, when we, uh, I'm going to pray for you, for all of us, um, and then there'll be a, a prayer team up to that side, right or left, whatever that is. Uh, so if, and, I'll, and I'm available, if any of you guys struggle in this area and want some prayer, uh, we got you covered. And if there's any other reason that you need prayer, you guys, please come get prayer. And if you are not in a relationship with God yet, and you're like, what does all this mean? What does this devoted life or this consistent life or being ready or being faithful? And you're like, what is all that? And you want a part of it and you just don't want to leave here without it? Make sure you come get prayer. We'd sure love to pray with you about that. So Lord, thank you so much for your ultimate generosity. Father, you have been so good to us. We can't, we can't outgive you. There's just no way. So, Lord, would you teach us how to live this generous life with all that you gave us? Teach us, Lord, how to possess nothing so that nothing possesses us, Lord God. And thank you for the abundant, crazy overflow that you always, always give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.